Thanks for tuning in. This is Brian Kaderna, your host, and you are now listening to the Kaderna Podcast. So if you noticed on today's title, what we're going to be discussing is Roth options. Uh, it's certainly grown in popularity. It's grabbed a lot of headlines in re the retirement planning space and something that any American that's starting to think about putting money away for the future uh, should at least have a working knowledge of. So you might already be thinking, hey, I listened to the pilot episode last week and maximizing growth. Wasn't that uh, tenant number five in the hierarchy? And you're right. You're exactly right. So why am I talking about retirement planning and investing already? Fact of the matter is I got to give you guys what you want. And then in later episodes, I'm going to give you what you need. So those first four tenants, again, they were protection first, building liquidity, managing debt, foundational wealth. And then to what we're going to discuss today is maximizing growth. Okay, so think of this as something perhaps down the road for some, you know, we do want to look at those first four pillars. Uh, but if you're in this space, definitely something to get to know. And uh, it's an exciting topic and an exciting time. So what is the Roth option and how did it all come about? One of the main reasons why people utilize a Roth IRA or Roth 401k is for tax free income, building what some know as a tax free retirement. So I think it's worthwhile to look all the way back at taxes, income taxes in particular, and kind of figure out that story first. So as we know, there's some certainties in life. Uh, I think the three we can all point to is death, change, and taxes. All right, death, there's not much we can do about when we're dead. Change is never, ever going to stop, and we can't control the unexpected. But if we can mitigate taxes to some extent, now we're doing ourselves a real good deed and possibly removing one of those financial stresses I spoke about last week. So to give you a quick history of tax and where it all derived from, we have to actually reach all the way back to ancient Egyptian times. And archeologists have uncovered during their excavations in some Egyptian tombs, tablets that actually have tax tables on them, actual records of the Egyptians taxing their citizens to build their empire. So it's pretty interesting that today we complain about income tax and it bothers us all to some extent, but it actually existed, you know, far beyond our time. So if we take that, that knowledge of where it all originated and then we fast forward several generations and get all the way up to the American economy and you actually look at the foundation of the United States of America, it actually all began on an argument over taxes. If we go back to grammar school history, we can recall that you know, there was the stamp tax placed on us by Great Britain that evolved into the tea tax, provoked the Boston Tea Party, and before you know it, we had a revolutionary war. And then George Washington came to the helm, and we have America as we know it today. So taxes have kind of invaded every aspect of life for a long time. And if we step a little bit further in American history, you'll notice that the first Secretary of the Treasury, Alexander Hamilton, brought about the first tax here in the American government. And that was a sin tax. It was actually placed on alcohol, uh, whiskey in particular, that folks who were out there to buy a spirit, uh, they were actually receiving a tax on that, that purchase. And that was one of the first forms of revenue for our American government. So you're saying, well, why am I giving you this history? Well, again, I'm a history buff, see, and I love economics, so you got to bear with this. But I think it's going to prove how valuable that Roth option could be uh, that we're going to get to in just a minute. So 1791, Alexander Hamilton creates the first syntax on alcohol. It was temporary. And then if we fast forward about another 70 years, uh, leading up to the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln enacted the Revenue Act. Okay, this was in 1861. 
So President Lincoln, again, I spoke about him last week, one of my heroes, the gentleman that said, happiness is a choice, one of my favorite quotes. So President Lincoln said, we have a civil war in the midst. In order to fight the South, we're going to need revenue. We have to cover all the expenses we're about to incur. And so he enacted in the Revenue Act, get ready for this, a 3% income tax. Our first income tax was a staggering 3%. And that impacted families that were making over $800 a year. If you can believe that, just $800 a year getting hit with an atrocious 3% income tax. Fortunately for the Americans back in that time, this was a temporary tax again. Only lasted 10 years so that we were able to finance and recover from the Civil War. However, after they repealed in 1871, some time went by and fast forward to 1909, the turn of the century, and we brought about income tax all over again via Woodrow Wilson. And in 1913, this, again, temporary tax became ratified in the 16th Amendment and became permanent for the first time. And famous for the words, the Congress shall now have power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived without apportionment among the states and without regard to any census or enumeration. And there you have it, folks, the income tax as we know it today, enacted in 1913 and still very much alive. As time went on, it went on a bit of a roller coaster. Uh, 1944, again, common theme here, World War II, all all the expenses incurred by war actually jacked up the highest marginal tax rate to 94%. That's the highest that's ever been in America. And that hit people who were making over $200,000 a year. That probably sounds like, you know, not a ton of money to get hit at a 94% tax rate. But in today's dollars, that's actually about $2.5 million. So again, it went up and down over time. Uh, Income taxes actually did go down more than up. Uh, But there were those gyrations over the course of history throughout the 1900s. And then fast forward to today, 2019, and your highest tax brackets, 37%. So if there's anything you could take away from this quick history I gave you on income tax, I think it should be change. Okay, at first it was unprecedented. Then it was here, it was temporary. Then it was here, it was permanent. And since then it's bounced all over the map in all different forms. So again, if we can control one of those three certainties in life, being taxes, I think that can provide a lot of comfort or at least some sort of comfort when you approach those golden years of retirement. And just to take into context, today our country has over $22 trillion of debt. All right, just an obscene number that's so enormous. If we go from 22 to 23, I don't think anyone out there, aside from the inner workings of our government, will even take notice or even blink an eye. That's how big this debt is, but we can't forget the, uh, the magnitude of it. And then if we look at another huge sum that we can hardly wrap our heads around, it's the outstanding balance in retirement plans today. All right, Over $29 trillion sits inside of pre-tax retirement plans, according to the Investment Company Institute. All right, What those retirement plans are, they comprise uh, defined benefit pension plans, as we know, and also the newer wave of defined contribution plans. That would be your IRAs, your 401ks, 403bs, etc. So when we couple that reality financially with the fact that over 10,000 baby boomers are turning 65 each day, we've got a lot of re- retirees that are going to start thinking about tapping into that $29 trillion. And you can rest assured that the government's saying, well, we've got $22 trillion of debt over here. How are some ways that we can start to manage this debt? 
And I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to perhaps match up some of these figures here. Just as a household that incurs some debt that wants to work down that balance has to address it, and there's two methods. There's either increasing their revenue or their income, or cutting their expenses, or usually a combination of the two. So it's no different for this gigantic institution of the American government, where they either have to cut expenses, hence all the conversations we have during election time, or raise revenue, typically via taxes, especially income taxes. So let's understand that landscape. Let's, let's appreciate it for what it is and start to think about what is that going to do to our retirement plan? All right, back in the day, everyone used to retire. I shouldn't say everyone, but the majority of Americans could retire with the comfort of a defined benefit pension plan and then also Social Security. And that would provide a steady stream of income in retirement that would give them some peace of mind. With the downward pressure on both of those programs, Social Security and pensions, as retirees are living longer and longer, thankfully, they're starting to take more and more money from those pots, and that's causing some issues for both of them. And that's where we've seen waves and waves of DB, defined benefit pension plans, go by the wayside or be modified um, to, to an extreme extent. And you'll talk with many folks now that have some reservations of what's going to happen with Social Security. How's it going to stay solvent? What's it going to look like when I retire? And that's ultimately where the introduction of a defined contribution, meaning we know what's going in, we don't know what's coming out. So a defined contribution plan came to existence in 1974 via the Individual Retirement Arrangement, or IRA. All right, about four years later, an amendment to the Revenue Act created the 401k. It was almost a mistake coming into action, and then that's blossomed into one of the major retirement plans that we're all used to seeing every day. And so this was ultimately the supplement to help for retirement and now is quickly becoming a substitute for many. So we know these retirement issues exist. We know that a lot of the old way, if you will, of relying on the big employer or the government to provide us income, that responsibility has now been shifted more towards the individual, for better or worse, to say, okay, you make your money, here's the vehicles, you have the keys, now try and drive yourself to retirement through these different uh, options. So all these were pre-tax options. What that meant is that it would either come from your paycheck, a payroll deduction, or you'd contribute to your traditional IRA, take a tax deduction, so we got a break today, but then we would defer that tax all the way until retirement, at which point when we actually utilize that money, we would be subject to ordinary income tax, right? So we have an investment partner in those retirement plans, those pre-tax plans, and that investment partner is Uncle Sam. And ultimately, they're going to call the shots. We don't know what taxes are going to be in a few years, let alone in 20, 30, 40 years from today. So we do have that unknown tax liability that's compounding every day with growth, hopefully. And that's something that we, a lot of retirees now, I should say, don't quite know how to manage. And they feel that tapping those IRAs is like getting expensive money. How come every time I'm pulling something out of there, I'm getting whacked in taxes? I'm triggering what a lot of people now call the tax torpedo. My Medicare premiums are going up. My Social Security is getting taxed at a higher rate. I'm entering a higher tax bracket. I'm subject to now a Medicare tax or higher capital gains taxes on my portfolio. All these ancillary effects because I'm raising my adjusted gross income via distributions from those pre-tax retirement plans. 
So all is not lost. Again, that's not the end of the world because we are getting that deduction today, which I'm sure many accountants uh, would prefer and say, hey, that's lowering your income. It's maybe getting you more of a bang for your buck in today's age. But we can't be short-sighted. We've got to think about 20, 30, 40 years down the road. What is our tax situation going to be at that point in time? So enter in 1997, Senator William Roth of the very tax-friendly state, Delaware, created what we know as the Roth IRA. And what he did is he essentially flipped the IRA, the 401k space, on its ear and said, you know what, you guys, you can swallow your medicine today, pay your taxes on your earned income, and then put some of your money into a Roth IRA, and now it will grow tax-free in perpetuity. Okay, regardless of what future tax rates may be, regardless of how large of a sum that account may grow to, that is all your money. That is not to be touched by Uncle Sam. All right, some of the rules and regulations around that, just so you have a general understanding. Again, they're post-tax contributions. To get a qualified tax-free distribution, you must be over the age of 59 and a half, and the account must be in existence for over five years. Right, so it must have been at least five years since you made your first contribution to that account. Follow those rules and you have a tax-free retirement, at least in, in regards to that bucket of money. How else does this thing work, this, this beautiful Roth IRA? Well, you're now, again, this is being aired in 2019. And as of today, you're allowed to contribute $6,000 a year to your Roth IRA. Over the age of 50, you can go ahead and contribute an extra thousand via catch-up contribution. All right, you put your money in there, you can invest it however you would in a normal IRA, and then hopefully that money grows for you over time and introduces some tax-free income in retirement. Another cool little benefit, there are no required minimum distributions. All right, a lot of my older clients, you know, past the age of 70, are saying, why do I have to take money out of my IRA? I don't need it right now, and it's affecting my taxes. I'm paying taxes, and I don't want to. Well, with a Roth IRA, there are no RMDs. You can let that money keep on cooking in there and continue to generate a tax-free bucket of money so long as you're living. The only time there are RMDs is on inherited Roth IRAs. So when you do leave that behind to a beneficiary, again, they have to take some money out of there, but it still will be tax-free. So that's kind of the, the ins and outs of a Roth IRA. Um, another cool fact a lot of people don't totally understand, your contributions or your basis in that Roth IRA, you can access, access those funds at any time, both tax and penalty free. So that's a really nice loophole. Again, you don't, I shouldn't say loophole, but a nice uh, you know, thing to know about a Roth IRA, um, whereas you don't have some of those privileges in a 401k or traditional IRA. All right. If you had to take out more, again, not recommended. It is a retirement tool. But if you were in a pinch, you did have to take out more than just what you put in. You will be subject to a 10% early withdrawal penalty plus income taxes on any of the gains in there. All right. So you got to be aware of those things. Everything has pros and cons. No silver bullet here. Uh, but it's something to be uh, you know, cognizant of, especially when you have a very, very long runway to retirement. Getting all that tax-free compounding is can be a very, very beneficial thing. So to that point, a lot of my clients will say, well, what about my kids? Can I start something like that for them? Imagine the money they'd have in 50 years from today when they're my age and you know they can get some tax-free money. And the answer is yes, you can. You can set up custodial Roth IRAs so long as the child has earned income. So you have a teenager going to work and you wanna try and condition them to put some money away, prepare for the future, Roth IRAs, they are an option. All right. 
So that's kind of the skinny on the Roth IRA. I hope I haven't lost you yet. Um, you might start to say at this point, well, yeah, that all sounds great, Brian, but I heard that if I make too much money, I can't even do it. And to that point, yes, you may fall into that category. Unfortunately, the government does say if you're married filing jointly, if you make over 193 grand a year, you will start to get phased out. If you make over 203,000 Roth IRAs off the table. If you file single, phase out starts at 122 grand, totally eliminated after 137,000. Again, that's your modified adjusted gross income. So you're probably saying to yourself, well, I've been busting my butt. I'm finally making some really good money here, and I want to plan. I want to be responsible. And now this whole Roth IRA thing you made an episode of, it doesn't even apply to me. Well, again, all is not lost. There is something called a backdoor Roth IRA um, where you could perhaps circumvent that restriction. That's going to be saved for another episode, uh, but I'd be glad to talk about that in the future. And if you're saying, well, I don't want to do that backdoor Roth IRA thing. I'm, I haven't gotten to that episode of the Caderna podcast and I make too much money to do a Roth IRA. You may have a Roth option at work. All right. In 2006, in the Pension Protection Act, they created an opportunity for employers to attach a Roth option on your 401k, 403b, your 457. All right. So any of those retirement plans you're used to having at work. Now we can actually elect to contribute on a Roth basis and get all the same advantages of tax-free growth that I was just speaking about. A couple other things to note there, there's no income limit, all right? A lot of confusion on that topic. You hear Roth, you think, okay, make a lot of money, can't do it. If it's through your employer, there is no income cap. You can make a million dollars a year, you're still welcome to contribute to your Roth 401k. Also, the standard contribution limits apply to that which means you can put away, again, we're in 2019. As of today, you can put in $19,000 a year in a Roth 401k. And if you're over the age of 50, you can do an extra $6,000 a year, again, as a catch-up provision. So now there's no income cap and we can contribute quite a bit more. That's a really nice tool. You wanna be aware of it if you have that through your employer. So speak with HR, check your benefits booklet. Again, get in the know, understand what your options are. So in closing, Roth IRA, Roth options, Roth 401k, get to know what it is. See if it's something that applies to your world. Consult your tax advisors, consult your financial advisors, and at least know that that's something that could be on the table for you to give you a tax-free leg up in retirement. As I always tell my clients, it's not all about diversifying your investments. It's also about diversifying your tax bill. Every retiree I sit down with today has a much greater appreciation for some of that post-tax money in retirement. So if you can put yourself in that position, again, where you have control and you have multiple buckets or multiple pockets of money to tap, it'll, it'll help you to choose at this point in time of retirement, which pocket should I tap and what could be perhaps the most tax efficient thanks to the Roth option that I funded while I was back working and making money and saving for the future. Lastly, uh, a question I actually just received today, so I don't want to skip over it. I often hear, you know, in the Roth IRA, the Roth 401k, what are the returns like? Would I get a better return in a traditional IRA than a Roth IRA? Maybe, maybe not. All right, a Roth IRA, a traditional IRA, any of these retirement plans in the qualified retirement plan space, they are simply vehicles. Think of it as a bowl, and within that bowl, you can put in any ingredients that you choose. And if they'll perform the way you want, that's up to those underlying agree, agree, ingredients, excuse me. 
And again, that could be any of the stocks, mutual funds, ETFs that are out there or that your plan allows. So again, it's just a bucket. It has some cool tax uh, you know, advantages or features to it, different rules and restrictions. But again, the underlying funds will do what they do, uh, irrespective of if it's the 401k, the IRA, or the Roth IRA. Okay, so I hope this has been helpful. Hopefully you have a better idea of the Roth option. And please do turn again, tune in again next week to the Kaderna podcast, and we'll continue to provide as much financial knowledge and business advice as we possibly can. Thanks again. This is your host, Brian Kaderna, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Kaderna podcast is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Brian Kaderna does not provide tax or legal advice. Listeners should contact their own tax or legal advisors in this matter. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, 300 Broad Acres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Securities products and services and advisory services are offered through past registered broker dealer and investment advisor, 973-244-4420. Brian Kaderna is a financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian New York, New York. Pass is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Kaderna Financial Team and International Planning Alliance, LLC are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Pass or Guardian. Kaderna Financial Team is a division of International Planning Alliance, LLC, a general agency of the Guardian. Pass is a member of FINRA SIPC.